questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight, we take you on an electrifying hunt for what is real and what is possible. Encountering along the way politics, conspiracies, French medicine, history, language, and even astrotheology, and what it means to survive, thrive, even when you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. Love and humor may not be the answer, but without these variables, there is no worthy solution to any challenging problem or improbable situation. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Tonight's special guest is Micah T. Dank, who was born in 1983 in Oceanside, New York. From a young age, he had wanted to be a writer, coming from a family of writers. His father was a producer and radio news editor at CBS News in Manhattan, and his grandfather was a producer at CBS News. Micah has a degree in English from the State University of New York and a bachelor's degree in language literature and criticism from the City University of New York. It wasn't until he moved to Boston for a new job that he became interested in all the esoteric sciences, including the astrology and astrotheology prevalent through his book series. He is the author of the trilogy titled Into the Rabbit Hole, Beneath the Veil, the Sacred Stones, and the Secret Weapon. His website is micahdank.com. He joins us directly from Long Island, New York. Hello, Micah, and welcome to Veritas. Thanks, Mel. Thanks for having me. I just want to make one quick correction, though, from what you said. Um, that was great, but it's a six-book series. It's been it's been updated. Oh, okay. I just found three, so that's great. And so mm-hmm. let's get back to your bio. I want okay. to know how someone like you got into the esoteric world. Did you take it from the beginning and tell me about those eureka moments that you experienced? Well, from a young age, I was in a very religious household upbringing, and it never really sat true to me. I never really took the Bible as as the literal word of God. I never really saw how, I, I never understood how everybody in unison could just be making, it just didn't make sense to me. So fast forward, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I didn't understand and I've spent my life trying to understand or try to make sense of the Bible, try to make sense of all that. In 2013, I came across a YouTube superstar called Santos Bonacci. He's still unknown to many people, but in the astrotheology world, he's huge. And he's one of the originals, <clears throat> him and Jordan Maxwell. And uh, I came across one of his videos and I was like, I was blown away. 
I was blown away to the point where I was like, I have to write a story about this. And even more so than that, as I dove deeper into astrotheology and they taught me more, once I was able to understand the language of astrology and astrotheology, I was able to decode things on my own. So I kind of graduated from their classes, so to speak, and I started to do my own stuff. And then what I did was I decided, which I'm, what I'm doing is nothing like anybody else is doing. You'll find people that talk about astrotheology. They may even have books on it. But what I've done is I've written six thrillers that surround astrotheology that the characters unveil this information in there. Because a lot of this stuff is esoteric. A lot of this stuff is not to be known to the general public. And I'll get to that later as to who's holding back that information. And uh, so I figured I'd share it in a series of fiction books. That way the implicit bias already is that, you know, they don't have to take it on face value. So I decided to do that. That was about 2013 when I moved to Boston. And then it, I wrote the book, the first book, and I shared it with my friends, my two friends, Will and John. And I was like, what do you guys think? And they were like, you have to make a series out of this. This is unbelievable. This is unlike anything I've ever read before. Um, just the mixture of astrotheology and hidden knowledge that we're not supposed to know and conspiracies as well. Um, it, it, just the blending and the humor in the books too. It was just, it was nothing like anybody had seen before. So I wrote a trilogy and uh, that eventually landed me an agent uh, out of Chicago. And uh, she pitched my book for about a year and a half, two years. We just pitched to everybody. And it's hard to break through when you're a new writer, but eventually one publishing house took a chance on me, read the first book, and I had already been working on book four and five at the time. And I told them it was going to be a six book series. They signed me to a six book deal on the spot. So I've been, and, and all my books are written. The first two are currently out right now. The third book is coming out December 15th and they're being released every 90 days. So basically within a year and a half, a year and nine months, my whole series is going to be out. It's on Amazon. You can look up into the rabbit hole. Or you could just look up my name, Micah Dank, and just read some of the uh, some of the feedback that I've been getting from the books. It's been it's been great, and I've been making my circuit around the podcast, trying to share my information and the knowledge that I have with people that have no clue. And it's been a very positive experience so far. Let me publicly apologize for something here, because when you and I started interacting a few days ago, and when you told mm -hmm. me you wrote it in science fiction, I apologize because. A lot of people send me science fiction all the time, and we don't discuss science fiction yet. However, now mm -hmm. I understand why you did it, because mm -hmm. the concept of astrotheology and, and the esoteric uh, you know, knowledge is very difficult for people to sometimes to grasp. But if Correct. you do it as a story with some factual background, right. people can get it. So my apologies, See, I, under line. I understand why you did it. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad we clarified that. Um, the, the thing is, is that the storyline itself is, is fiction, right? The story is fiction. The characters are fiction, but all the information in the books are true. Got it. Right. You can fact check them. You could take a pen as you read the books and then Google it. You know, it's, it's, that's why I did it. And, and also you, you have books like 1984, a brave new world or anything that Jules Verne ever did. It was way ahead of his time. And uh, they put it in fiction 
And uh, a lot of it turned out to be true, but it was allowed to be written and consumed by the masses because it was fiction. Right. So that was kind of my thought process behind this. But no, this isn't science fiction. It's fiction. And there are science, there are scientific elements to it. I, I do talk about certain things like shared dreaming, DMT, uh, remote viewing, astral projection. There's things that I do talk about within the books that are science related, but it is certainly not a science fiction book. Where did all this information come to you? And I understand that you probably thought, you know, everybody is at home repeating the same thing and reading from the same book. You know, I just want to question more of what's out there. Right. And tell me more about how that you were able to compile all this information to the kaleidoscope that you call the Into the Rabbit Hole series. Basically, uh, it, it's a lot of trusting myself to know what I think people are going to find interesting. And kind of weeding out the stuff that's either a little harder to explain or that really isn't like, wow. Like, I, I go for the wow factor. And the truth of the matter is, is the online community has been good. There's plenty of Facebook groups uh, where you could join esoteric Facebook groups where these people are already experts on stuff. And then you can just read and read. You have to read a lot when you do this. I mean, you have to read a lot. I would say I spent about a good five years just reading all the esoteric sciences, reading all the Gnostic Gospels, reading the Bible, reading everything I can get my hands on, and just cherry-picking the information that was interesting and then just weaving a story out of it. So what I didn't know at the time, what I wanted to do initially was write a nonfiction book, but then I explained to you why fiction would be better. And then the thing about it is, is that, um, excuse me, it just it came to me to write this, and it turns out that I'm actually a pretty good writer. You know, I mean, I, I was able to land a six book deal the first time around, and 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 I don't know anybody that has a six book deal, you know. But that aside, not gloating, I just think that what I'm doing is unique. But you got to do a lot of reading, you got to do a lot of research. If something just interests you, I, I was just an open book. I just wanted to learn everything, and then I did, and I decided, okay, my six book series astrology is astro theology is going to be basically prevalent it's going to be throughout the storyline there's going to be astrological codes that people need to figure out biblical codes that refer to it which i will get into with you um that's through book one through four and then book five is going to be the gnostic texts you know the book of thomas the book of enoch the book of judas the book of mary magdalene the book of raziel um all these books that can be decoded the same way that never made the Bible. And then book six is basically going to talk about uh, Satanism and Luciferianism and what it really is, not what everybody portrays it to be, but what it really is. And again, that's another storyline story that you're going to follow. So, and these books are short. They're only about 250 pages each book, but they're so densely packed with information that, and I end each chapter on a cliffhanger so that you just have to keep reading it. And uh, let me ask you this, too. A lot of people that I talk to say, I had to use that hallucinogen or DNT or LSD or this and that. And this is how I wrote my book. I didn't know anything about this. And by the way, I'm new to your work. So I'm a, an empty sponge, empty cup of, of water, if you will. I want to fill it as much as we can at the end of the show today and maybe even discuss more in the future. But did you have to go through this in order for this information to come to you or or not? Uh, I did not go through a hallucinogenic period. I did not. 
what I will tell you is, is that when I first started learning all this, I had a complete and total mental breakdown. Uh, you, you familiar with who Jordan Peterson is? Yes, I am. Jordan Peterson, uh, it's my Facebook uh, background. There's a picture of him with this quote. He says that the pathway to enlightenment is, is necessary through a pathway to hell. That's why there's not so many enlightened people out there. And I find that to be true. I think that if you're going to learn the sciences, the truth of this, you have to unlearn everything that you've ever learned before. We're talking about the um, same Jordan Peterson, the clinical psychologist from Canada, right? That's right. Okay, great. Um, you're going to have to unlearn everything. You're going to have to unlearn everything because they don't want you to know this information. You know, they know this information, but they don't want you to know this information. And I will tell you who that is later. But, um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I am going to try a hallucinogen at some point, but in the time being, I just feel like I am, my mind's open to everything. And, and, and it's just once, once you pull yourself back together and then you find your purpose, my, my, I feel, I truly feel my purpose is doing what I'm doing right now, which is having conversation with you, which is writing books about this stuff, teaching people about this stuff. Um, I've only been on the circuit for about five months, to be honest with you, the podcast circuit. My first book came out June 30th, you know, and I've, I've had, I've had so many wonderful conversations with so many different people. I started reading the book and obviously you're a good communicator. Could this be because of your lineage of your father, your grandfather working for the communications industry? Yeah, absolutely. My dad is, my dad, my father was a journalist and, uh, he had punctuation editing and uh, he basically pushed all of that to me. So what happened was I was an actor in high school and college and uh, I was um, and I had started to get a little bit decent of work. I remember I was uh, I was a store model at Abercrombie in Long Island at the most at the busiest Abercrombie in the country. I was a store model there and they let me go because it was getting in the way of my acting. And so what happened was after um, early into my college, when I transferred colleges, I just kind of gave away acting and I started taking up English classes. I, I became an English major because I figured it would help me read scripts better. It would help me read things along that line better. Um, but what ended up happening was I just fell in love with it and decided that I wanted to write. I just I didn't know what to write, you know, and then something hits you so hard one day that it's just. I, it's just it's just a bright light glowing in you that you know what you have to do. So you're acting. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're acting probably created these characters for the book, and then the English language helped you perfect the way in which you impart upon the knowledge to the readers. Well, that's the thing is these characters in my book. So the first, the two main characters are Graham and Hannah. Graham is the main character, and it's from his point of view. And the way I write is. Uh, you're familiar with Catcher in the Rye? Oh, yes. You know that very first person where he's talking directly to you? Almost like in real time? Right. That's my style of writing. So that's what it is. It's Graham and Hannah. And I picked those two names because if you flip them around, you get Hannah Graham or Anagram. So all the characters' names are anagrams for people in the real world who make the story make even more sense if you knew it. See, what I've done is I've taken my books that I've written as fiction and I've encoded them a layer deeper so that people who know what they're looking for or people who understand things would be able to find it. 
And that style of writing is very immersive. You feel immersed. You feel part of the story. It's almost like you're you're being carried on a backpack and and watching every move. Right. Now, exactly. Let me ask you this: spending time with your father, your grandfather, and now seeing how the media has evolved, or may I say, de-evolved. Six right. six company. Oops, are you there? I'm here. Uh, hold on. Okay, something happened that. The audio got cut off all of a sudden. The media, in my opinion, has de-evolved. Now it's six companies that own the mainstream media. How do you compare the the media and the platforms your your father, grandfather worked at with the media that we have today? <laughs> it's like the good old days. My grandfather is in Dan Rather's book. Dan Rather made a name for himself because he had the Kennedy assassination story about like 45 minutes an hour before anyone did. Wow. And when he called CBS News New York from Dallas to tell them the story, the person he spoke to was my grandfather. And he put that conversation in his book with him. So um, how it used to be is different. I remember watching them used to cut audio. You know, I, I think that I think it's always been um, the media has always been skewed a certain way uh, or, 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 or leans a certain way. But I think that now with social media and everything, it's just exposed immediately. I think it was always there. But back in the day, you only had newspapers and radio and, and the TV, the first 13 channels. And you had to watch Cronkite. That was the only way to get the right. news. But now you can get it from a billion other places. It's a billion other places, but they're reading from the same script. You know, I'm, I, right. I, I, I wasn't. Alive when the Kennedy assassination happened, but it came, you know, a few years later. And I remember watching the news and reporters actually made the news. They went out there, they got the news, they came back and and, and there were stories that they actually gathered. Now, if you're attractive, whether you're female or, or male and you know how to read from a teleprompter, you're employed. Right. They don't mm -hmm. pay you to, to think. They just want you to repeat and become an echo chamber of the elite. Would you agree? Right. I, I would agree. I would agree. You get some glimpses of their original personalities uh, in in like their Twitter when they post what they want because that's coming directly from them. So you get their, how their thought process works. But yeah, for the most part, it's just basically the same story recycled. And they shouldn't uh, deviate too much. Even on their tweets, they shouldn't deviate too much. Right. Exactly. Um That's why there's so many different forms of alternative media out there um, that people are gravitating towards um, rather than the, the dinosaur media. The dinosaur media is dying, you know, and they're holding on for dear life. They are. And it, it's all, all of them, no exception whatsoever. And I thought that social media was going to be the replacement, but that's even part of the of the establishment. I see more of a people's media or new, let's not call it alternative media, that, that has some negative connotations, but I think new media or people's media, it's what's going to be rising from the ashes. Mm -hmm. I agree. I don't know what shape it'll take, but I can start to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's um, get to the, to, to the nitty-gritty of your work here for a moment. Taking some of the fiction out for a moment and, and segregating it. Let's let's mm -hmm. just bring some of the variables of the esoteric portion and astrotheology. Okay. Okay, so what I can do is pose you the following questions. 
Okay. How is Jesus able to heal the blind? How did he walk on water? How did he turn water into wine? Let's go one by one. Let's go one by one. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain it and then I'm going to go back to it. Okay. So how he turned the water into wine, why he had 12 disciples, why he was betrayed by a kiss by Judas, why he was dead for three days. Why is his birthday on December 25th? How he fed the masses with two fish. Okay. This is all astrology. I'm going to explain it. But first, to understand this, I have to go through the 12 signs really quickly so that you people have a generic understanding of the zodiac. Okay. Okay. So the first sign is Aquarius, which is represented by the man with the water pitcher. Um, the story behind Aquarius is pretty interesting. Zeus. It goes back to Zeus. Zeus was looking on Earth one day, and he saw a young boy, about 14 years old, and he wanted him. The boy didn't want to come, so he went. So Zeus went to his father, and then long story short, he ended up giving him a bunch of animals, and then he took the boy up to heaven. From there, the boy was feeding Zeus and the gods ambrosia. You know what ambrosia is, right? Refer, refer, it sounds familiar. Refresh my memory. It's, it's the nectar of the gods. It's what they do. Okay. Okay. We have things called like ambrosia salad now, which is just like a fruit and marshmallow medley or whatever. But ambrosia was the drinks from them. So basically, um, one day he took the picture of ambrosia because he was so fed up with being up there and he poured it over the ledge and it caused the flood on earth. Okay. So that's where that flood story comes from in Greek mythology. And then what happened was Zeus was furious with him. But then realizing that he basically cornered him into this situation, he decided instead of punishing him, he was just going to immortalize him as the constellation Aquarius. So the man with the water pitcher is Aquarius. Pisces is the sign of the two fish in the water. Okay. Aries is the ram. In Aries, you have March 21st, which is the spring equinox. It's a 12-hour day, 12-hour night. It's also the Passover or not just the Passover, but the passing over of the sun over the equator and on its way back to the height of the summer solstice. In Christianity, this changes from the Passover to the resurrection of God's son, not S-O-N, but S-U-N. It's also why the Jews smear the lamb's blood on the door to protect them from the Egyptians. So whenever you hear them mention ram, lamb, or sheep, that's Aries. Now, Taurus, the next sign is the bull. You got to remember is that back in this time frame, before they had clocks, watches, smartphones, Apple watches, calendars, they had sundials and they had to look at the stars to know when winter was coming or when it was time to plant. They had to, they had to use that. So Taurus is the bull because when you look up and you see that particular set of stars in the sky in a certain place, you have to know that you have to put the plow on the bull. So you can plant the seeds, so you can harvest them in Virgo and Libra, which I'll get back to shortly when I get to Virgo and Libra. But basically, Virgo you plant for the bread, and Libra you plant for the wine, the bread and the wine in Christianity. Gemini are the twins. That's Castor and Pollux Troy, whose sister was Helen of Troy. You're familiar with the story of Achilles, right? I am. Okay. Well, nothing significant really really happens as far as astrologically, astrotheologically there. Um, but anytime they mention the twins in the Bible, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about the constellation Gemini. Now, cancer is the crab. It's the sideways moving creature. So what the sun does 
is that on December 25th, it rises a degree. And then December 26th, it rises a, a degree higher. And then it continues to rise a degree higher on its axis until it hits June 21st, which is the summer solstice. Then for three straight days, it rises at the same exact degree. And then on June 25th, it lowers one degree and it starts going down all the way until it hits December 21st. Then for three straight days in the, uh, that's the winter solstice, December 21st, it's the longest day of the longest night of the year. For three straight days, the sun does not rise on its axis. That's where they say that Jesus, who is the son of God, was dead for three days. <laughs> and then he rose on, and then he rose, right? He rose December 25th on the birth of, on his birth. Okay. So he basically, he dies in Sagittarius. He's dead for three days because the sun doesn't come up for three days. Um, so Leo is the king, the lion, the king of the jungle. And the ruling planet of Leo is actually the sun. It's the only planet that the sun rules. Now, you remember in Taurus how I told you you're going to plant and then you're going to reap in Virgo Libra? Yes. Virgo is the woman holding the wheat stalk. Remember? Okay, so basically what happened is it's the virgin holding a wheat stalk. If you look at the sign, that's what it is. It's a woman holding a stalk of wheat. Because when, when you're in Virgo, when you look at the sky and you see Virgo, the women would go out and they would cultivate the wheat so that you could make the bread. Libra is the justice, the scales, the balance. The reason it's the justice is because it judges God's son as it passes over the fall equinox on its way to its death. Uh, that's that's uh, September 21st. That's the fall equinox. It begins its descent into winter, into cold, into death. And the Jews always celebrate the new year around the fall equinox. And Libra is also around wine season because if you've ever been to a vineyard uh, and you've been there in like September, October, you'll notice that it's lush. When you see pictures of people on like Facebook or whatever, or the girls that have the winery parties when they go in the spring, you'll see that it's bare. It's bare empty. You know, everybody knows wine season, the Italians, the Greeks, everybody knows that wine season is September, October. Now, Scorpio is a scorpion. And this one is interesting, too, because out of all the signs in the sky, you have to make some leap of faith to, to, to call something something. But Scorpio actually looks Scorpio actually looks like a scorpion. And the thing about a scorpion is it's, he's the betrayer. That's why Jesus betrays him. And here's how he betrays them. When a Scorpio bites you or a scorpion bites you, it leaves an imprint in your skin that looks like a pair of lips. And the Egyptians knew this and the Jews knew this. And it's why the mafia have what's called the kiss of death. Okay. And it's why Judas betrays him with a kiss. Judas is Scorpio and Jesus is the son. The son is judged in Libra and betrayed in Scorpio. And finally, in Sagittarius, the bow and the arrow, the man with the bow and the arrow, the bow and the arrow inflict further pain on the sun, and the sun dies in Sagittarius. In the scripture, uh, it's not a bow and arrow, but it's a spear to his side. I'll get into that, too, in a little bit. Um, and then Capricorn is the goat. Now, the zodiac wheel starts with Capricorn at the bottom. and if you imagine 
the sun walking a degree along the zodiac as it climbs to the top and then comes back down, right? If you imagine that, um, Capricorn's at the bottom. It's at the bottom of the mountain. And it's a goat because the goats climb the mountains. They climb the mountains better than everyone. So now that I've gone through that generically, I promise as I give you more, it'll make more sense. But I just want to make sure. Do you have any questions for me so far? Well, quick parenthesis. Who do you think was responsible for the transformation from astrology to theology? Well, you got to understand, when you're talking about astrotheology, it's no different than what the Greeks or the Romans did. It's no different than what the, um, the Sumerians did in their cuneiform tablets. Um, they're all stories about the planets and, and the constellations. They're, I mean, the Greeks, Jupiter, Zeus, they're all, they're all, they're all related. They're all planets. One of their constellations. This is just a modern interpretation of it. See, every religion borrows from a previous religion. Okay, whether it's the efficacy of what they're writing or the Ten Commandments for some reason, which comes from the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the the Twelve Negative Confessions, Chapter One Twenty Five in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, they all borrow stuff. But this is this is no different. They're just they're taking the signs and they made stories out of them. But the story that they're telling is the same story that they've been telling for thousands of years, which is the sun going through its cycle of the 12 zodiacs and what happens on the solstices and the equinox and how the sun dies and it's reborn. The story of the phoenix is the same thing. It rises from its ashes. Jesus rises from his ashes. It's the same story. But if I – so I basically gave you the information. So now if I give you – I'll start slow. If I give you a phrase from the Bible called pride comes before the fall, have you heard that? Pride comes before the fall. No. You've never heard that phrase? No, I haven't. Okay. It's a very famous biblical phrase. And people usually say that you should be too prideful because you can't hold your weight up eventually. Eventually, you're going to be humbled. That's what that means. But okay. you happen to know what a group of lions is called? A group of lions. Yes. I remember it. And it's just escaping my mind. Uh, tell called me. the pride. The pride. The pride. A pride. A pride. So Leo, the pride. Lions. Leo, the pride. That's July and August. That's Leo. That comes before the fall. So these biblical phrases have double entendres and, and, and sometimes double and triple meanings in it. Let me give you another one. Um, are you familiar with the book of Micah at all? Book of Micah? No. Okay. Do you know where in, do you know in the old Testament, what city they projected the prophet or the Messiah to come from? Tell me. Bethlehem sound familiar? Bethlehem. Yes. Okay. You know what Bethlehem means in Hebrew? No. Bethlehem is a combination of two words, bet and lechem. You can look this up. It literally translates to house, bet is house, and lechem is bread. So it's the house of bread. Now, I just told you the house of bread was Virgo, the lady with the wheat stalk, the virgin. So the savior comes from a virgin. You see how that works? Yeah. Now, now, a quick, quick, quick parenthesis here. And just for, yeah. we have people from all over the world who listen to us. Some are religious, some are not. I, you know, some, I just hope 
Nobody gets offended. We're just exploring new things, folks. So if you're a Christian, oh. please don't don't become offended. We're just exploring all of these. Yeah, let me let me let me give this disclaimer because I do this all the time. Uh, one of my best friends, my second best friend, Paul, is a young Earth creationist. We have conversations, and I've been friends with him since I was nine. We have conversations about this all the time. I'm not out to change your religious view. That's not what I'm doing. And I tell everybody that I do a podcast with, I'm not out to change your religious view. I am out to present a new way to look at things that you might not have thought were out there in the past. And then, and to be honest with you, my friend Paul, I presented him this information, this this thing that I'm going through with you right now. Um, I presented it to him and I asked him, I said, so what do you think? And he says, I can't deny that it's true because it, it is, you've made great connections, but all it's done is strengthened my faith. So if what I read to you tonight strengthens your faith, I'm happy with that. If I don't write to change people's opinion, what I do write for is if somebody is lost and doesn't know any answers or wants to make sense of something that didn't make sense to them before, that's what I write for is to try and give you a new viewpoint. Me personally, I think that it's an it's an astrological astrological allegory. The whole Bible. I don't believe that it's literal, but I'm not out to change your opinion. I'm just out to give you the information. So please know that. I uh, I just did a podcast yesterday with another Christian host, and uh, I got a lot of very positive feedback from it because this this stuff is really fascinating. And if nothing else, you learn something new that you can go to your priest with or you could talk to friends about or even read my books and then just discuss amongst them. So I just wanted to throw that out there, too. No, that's fine. And we've we've been discussing this for years. I've mentioned the similarities between Horus and Isis and uh, the virgin birth and in so many cultures. And it makes you wonder how coincidental that it happens from culture to culture, the Greeks, the Romans, and then now. So... Obviously, somebody, and again, this is the part where I'm th thinking, bear with me, don't get offended. Who do you think, was this during the Council of Nicaea that things changed? Because obviously, okay. they, they, they made characters out of these, uh, can we call them, uh, I'm just trying to find the word, uh, mythological characters? That's, uh, we, we, can, we can use that term loosely. I'll be fine with that. Um, so, interesting thing. You're familiar with Constantine, right? You're 325, the Council of Yes, Nicaea. of course. He was baptized on his deathbed, either on his deathbed or he did it. It's not really clear if it was on his deathbed, but either way, he, uni he united everything under Christianity. What you don't know about that is about 225 years before that, in the year 100 AD, there was something called the Council or the Senate of Jamnia. Okay, this was done in Israel. And if you don't believe me, you can look up Council of Jamnia under um, Encyclopedia Britannica because they'll tell you the same thing that I'm going to tell you right now. You can literally look this up yourself. Um, there was a council because in the year 100 AD, the Old Testament wasn't canonized yet. So basically, the Old Testament wasn't canonized yet. They didn't have the set books, the set uh, motion of books, which book comes when in the Bible. So they had set out to do that. Now, the interesting thing is 30 years prior to that, one of the Gospels came out. It's the oldest Gospel. Do you happen to know which one it is? Say again? 
No, I said, do you happen to know which one the oldest gospel is out of the four gospels? I used to be into all of this many, many years ago, and I'm not as proficient as you are now. Okay. It's the book of Mark. Okay. So the book of Mark came out 70 AD. They're having this council at 100 AD to try and decide the Old Testament's fate, fate and how it's going to be played out. They actually had a conversation about whether or not to put the Old Test put the book of Mark in the Old Testament. They decided against it. But could you imagine at that one point had they decided to put the old and they decided to put the story of Jesus in the Old Testament and just made it one long testament instead of converting it into two? How different the world would look? Right, because in the first testament, we have a uh, an angry God, and in the second one, you have a more benign one. Right, exactly. Um, so I gave you the twelve zodiac signs, right? Stay, stay with the Council oh. of Jamnia for a second. This is okay. new, new to me. I'm just looking at, and again, I don't know sometimes to what to believe from Wikipedia. This is just a bunch of people adding stuff and editing it. Uh, right. But tell me more about the Council of Jamnia and what what is the connection between this council and the Council of Nicaea, if if any. There wasn't. There wasn't a connection. Um, basically, what happened was the original Christians, and I'm talking the original Christians, were known as Heliognostics. Do you know? That's basically, you, helio means sun. And yeah, knowledge means knower. of the sun, right. So they were sun knowers. The original Christians were sun knowers. In fact, Constantine's nephew, um, Julian the Apostate, okay, literally, after Constantine's death, tried to bring everyone back to sun worship. Uh, he was killed in a battle, I forget which battle. By what we know is friendly fire now, one of his uh, men shot an arrow in his back, or maybe it was done on purpose, I don't know. But he was very vocal, and he he definitely tried to bring everything back. So in the early days, they used the Christians used to be sun worshippers, open sun worshippers. And it was after the Council of Nicaea that happened that um, Christianity started spreading in the literal sense. Initially, it wasn't taken literally. Um and as far as the Council of Jamnia goes, um, there's not too much crazy amount of stuff out there on it. But the stuff that out there, that is out there, I uh, I gave you that information on. To be honest with you, you could go to the Encyclopedia Britannica because I know Wikipedia people edited this, that, and the other thing. But um, the Encyclopedia Britannica, I, I tend to take that with a little more grain of salt than Wikipedia. More grain of salt than Wikipedia. Yeah. No, 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 no. I take it. I take it as 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 better. Okay. What I meant to say. Okay. Right. Right. Because again, there's so many hands now editing Wikipedia, and again, this to me is part of the establishment. They don't want you to add anything that may go against the official narrative when it comes to religion, government, uh, media. You you name it. Right. So, do you remember the initial questions that I asked you? How was Jesus able to heal the blind? Yeah. How he walked on water, the, water into wine. Yeah. Let's let's go into that right now. How is Jesus able to heal the blind? Well, if you think of Jesus as the Son itself, okay. Let, let me guess. Without, can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah. Okay. So, how did Jesus heal the blind? And by the way, we, we may talk about Flavius Josephus later. You probably know that name, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. There's we, a lot of there's, there's not there's a lot of conflicting information on him. Exactly. But how Jesus was able to heal the blind? Let's say that Jesus is the Son. At night, you have the moon, and then how do you bring the light? Well, this, the, the dawn of the sun in the morning. Am I, mm -hmm. am I close? 
Yeah, exactly. You can't see at night, and then suddenly the sun comes up. You can see. Right. The sun touches the sun touches your eyes. Jesus and then touches your eyes. It walks on water, meaning that it goes above the water, and you can see him. You can see the sun just on that horizon line. Am I getting close to? That's it. Okay. How do you turn How? water into wine? Could it be now what you were talking about the the fall when it becomes the the grapes become yes, fermented and get into into wine? You're missing the first half of it. Okay, tell do you me. Know, do you know what the word for rain is in Hebrew? No. It's called shemen. We get the word semen from it. Uh-huh. But it's basically the reason that the earth is a, is a woman, is Mother Earth, and the reason that God is a man is because God ejaculates his rain onto Mother Earth and she gets pregnant with vegetation. Uh, okay. Okay. So it rains. You're familiar with April showers bring May flowers? Yes. Okay, so it rains during Taurus, and then it continues to rain all the way until you pick the grapes and turn them into wine. That's how you turn the original water into wine. And the next one is the two, 12 disciples, may I guess here? Mm -hmm. We have the 12 months. And then if you look at the Last Supper, you see the, the them in clusters of three, mm -hmm. meaning the seasons. Am I right there? That's right. That's right. Uh, but it's not, it's not the 12 months. It's the 12, it's the 12 uh, zodiac signs. Zodiac signs, okay. Right. So we went over why he was betrayed by, by Judas with a kiss, right? Right. Scorpio. We went, over why, we went over why he was dead for three days. Right. We went over why his birthday is on December 25th. This is when it rises. When rises it comes down. Degree. Right, exactly. Right. And uh, Pisces, the two fish, it's how he fed the masses with the two fish. The sun was in Pisces. It's a metaphor. Now explain that one. I'm still unclear of the, uh, the, about the two fish. Pisces, is the, the sign of Pisces is the two fish. It's yes. two opposite. Have you seen the sign of Pisces? Before? I have, yes. Okay, it's the sign of Pisces. It's the two fish. Metaphorically, Jesus fed the mass with the two fish. The sign of Pisces. Okay. That's how he fed them. He metaphorically fed them two fish, but the two fish were the sign of Pisces. Christianity is from the age of Pisces. Right. Okay. Now, how so do we I'm, know? I mean, we have the ram. We have the, 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 the bull. I mean, if anybody saw the movie Cecil be the mill, uh, the Ten Commandments, we remember the, 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 uh, the ram and the, and the bull, and then all of a sudden the age of Pisces comes along afterwards, right? And this is the age where we are in now. The question is, when do we're we actually, know that we have entered at the age of Aquarius? Right. We're actually in the age of Aquarius now. We are. We are. Um, I was going to get into this a little later, but remember the Mayan calendar, December 21st, 2012? Certainly. How that was supposed to be the end of the world. Everyone went nuts. Yep. Right. That was the end of Pisces. That wasn't the end of the world. That was the end of an age. In the Bible, they call them eons. So it was the end of an eon. And, 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 and as far as, um, the, the Jews in Aries, that's why they blow the ram's horn because it's Aries. It's the ram. They're the people of Aries. Moses comes down from the Mount. Sermon from the Mount with the Two Commandments, with the Ten Commandments. Sorry, and he's looking out there, and they're all worshiping a golden calf, right? Right. So, what do you think is more likely that these wandering nomadic Jewish people 
had enough gold that they could also find welding equipment out in the middle of the desert to weld together a giant calf. Or, coincidentally, the people of Aries, the new people of Aries, the Jews, were worshipping the age of Taurus, which is why Moses got so mad, metaphorically, smashed the tablets. That's how he became the first lawbreaker, because he broke the law. Hmm. That's where that comes from. And they were worshipping the golden calf. The calf is Taurus. Gold is the sun. They were worshipping the wrong time period. They had to bring them into a new age. So what you're saying is that they they were staying behind and Moses had to push him forward to the new age of That's right. Taurus. There's always resistance. Every sign that we change, there's always resistance to stay to the previous one. There's I mean, meaning, meaning pi, what, what was it? We, we went from, from Aries to Taurus to Pisces. No, we went from Taurus, Aries, Pisces, Aquarius. Okay. So let me give you the names of Jesus real quick, okay? Well, I, th I thought Aries came before Taurus. No, 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 no. The oldest sign out of the ones you just talked about is Taurus. That was the Egyptian time. Okay. Then the Jews become prevalent in Aries. Then Christianity takes over in Pisces. There's a new religion every zodiac sign that comes out. Right. And we're in the age of Aquarius right now. Now, we're constantly uh, – we have this – system where we can share information across the world instantaneously so it would be kind of hard to create a new world religion and spread it through warmongering or what have you because that's how religions have spread and that's how they were spreading but what if the new religion is the religion of technology hmm you're opening a huge huge pandora's box something that i had in the subconscious mind for a while Almost like we are venerating technology. Yep. Do you know, and I wrote this in one of my books. Well, okay, so in, in my books, one of the characters is in a coma. And the characters, the, there's two characters that need to go into his coma. You've seen the movie Inception? I have. Yeah, it's probably my favorite movie. Um, they have to go into his coma and they have to get information from him. Now, that sounds like science fiction, right? But what if I told you that there are already set up people in a neural link helmet and they set three people up together and just using their mind, they played a game of Tetris together. What if I told you that's already happening? Actually, I read that in a scientific journal some time ago. It's out there. You know, it's not far. The things that I portray in my books are not far from the truth. Um, but basically, if we're talking about If we're talking about Jesus, you, you know all his nicknames, right? Yeah, right, of course. So he's the scapegoat of Israel. That's the goat. That's Capricorn. He's the son of man. That's the man sign in Aquarius. He's the fisherman of men. That's the two fish in Pisces. He's known as the lamb of God or the ram in Aries. He's known as the strong bull or the bull in Taurus. He's the lion of Judah, right? Also known as Leo the lion. The lady holding the stalk of wheat, he's known as the bread of life. He's also born of a virgin. Libra is the scales of justice. He's known as the just one. Then he's betrayed in Scorpio by the kiss, dies in Sagittarius for three days, wakes up day one in Capricorn. It's also why he's worshipped on the sun day. 
The Jews worship on the Saturday because it's all Saturn worship. It's the Saturn day. Hmm. But the Christians worship the sun, and that's why it's the sun day. Now, let's sit here for a moment. Because obviously we have Saturn, Kronos, time, and there's there's a lot of negative connotation with with Saturn and Satan and all that. Can you can you elaborate more, expound more on this Saturn Sun connection or disconnection? Um, that, I mean, there's conflicting information left and right when it comes to those two, but Saturn is basically the king. It takes 30 years to revolve around the sun. It's the king. Okay? And uh, it has rings. Back in the day, you wear wedding rings. You wear a ring on your on your hand. Women were told to listen to their god, so they had to wear ear rings. You know, that's where that comes from. Saturn is also known as the black planet. The Jews, have you ever seen the Jewish people wearing the black boxes on their forehead? I have. And I wonder what that is. That goes back to Saturn worship. Okay, the Muslims worship the Kaaba, the giant box in Mecca. I wonder if there was a connection between the small box of the Jews and the Muslim Mecca. Yeah, it's it's all Saturn worship. It all goes back to Saturn. So even the Muslims Saturn. think that they are the, the, the devotion towards Saturn too? Yes, if you go back far enough. In fact, in my book series, I talk about where the Islamic religion actually came from. One of the characters gets uh, uncovers an informa- uncovers some information and describes it. But yeah, it's 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 the same thing. The Jews and the Arabs are not very different. They're split. It's you're splitting hairs. Well, Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. We've been told that Saudi Arabia and Israel don't have that much of a difference when it comes to the people. They don't. They don't. And my issue with religion is it causes division. Like yes, this. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't mind people who are religious in their own faith and follow it to a T and don't bother anyone. But when I see what religion does to weak-minded people who believe in God and believe that they're chosen, that bothers me. I don't like any belief or dogma to be shoved down anybody's throat. If you want to follow it, if you want to be a good Christian, a good Jew, a good Muslim, take a pick of all the thousands of religions that are out there. But just don't shove down your dogmas or your beliefs to somebody else. Correct. And the truth of the matter is, is knowing your religion's history, like I'm showing right now, helps. Because you see where it all comes from. And you see that it's all interconnected. Okay, so we have Saturn. We have Sun. And you mentioned the rings of Saturn and the rings that we wear if we're married or, you know, rings. And women wear, you know, E-rings. Right. The fact that a lot of it is gold, does that have anything to do with the sun? Yes. That's why, well, so the story, are you familiar with the Anunnaki? Of course. I I, okay, so, I was lucky to interview Zachariah Sitchin for the last time before he died. Oh, what a guy. Yes. Love him. So the story behind the Anunnaki is basically is they needed gold in their atmosphere. Okay. They needed gold in their atmosphere. There was gold on Earth. They needed to get to it. So they basically, long story short, hyper-engineered some monkeys, tinkered with their DNA. You get humans out of it who are just smart enough to mine the gold for them. Gold has always been valued. But it is neither rare nor 
Well, that's it. It's just, it's just not rare. It, it's when, really not rare. When you say it's not rare, are you implying, because I know some people that have told me that they, that there's recipes to transmute certain materials into gold. Yes, that's called alchemy, and that's what I think exactly. my seventh book is. That's what my seventh book is going to be out. Although the truth of the matter is, is that when you're talking alchemy, alchemy is more of a spiritual thing. The idea of transferring metal into gold is the idea of taking your lower self into your higher self. Okay, so alchemy is very spiritual. The Bible, at its core, is the Torah and alchemy and astrotheology. So those three things blended together. Um, But when they talk about transmuting it into gold, they're talking about your lower self evolving into your higher self. Now, in my seventh book that I'm going to write, um, which I haven't written yet, the other six are done, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. They're just coming out every three months. Um, the seventh book is going to talk about when they actually can transfer it into gold. And there are some people out there that are trying to do that. I mean, Newton tried for years to do it. Are you referring to people transmuting into gold? Or are you talking about... Um, for example, I know some of my guests, and even one, the one who introduced me to, to Mr. Sitchin, I forgot his name, but he's taken a powdered gold. Uh, allegedly, this, this creates longevity. Have you heard that? I haven't heard that. I, I try not to speak on things that I haven't heard. Sure, before. that's fair. You know, so I, just, just because I don't want to just, I don't want to mislead people. Sure. You know, if, if I know what I'm talking about, I know what I'm talking about. If I don't, I don't. I've never heard that before, but I would love to learn about it. What, what do you know about it? Well, they ingest it. They ingest it. it, it it's a, I don't have the formula here, but it's a powdered gold uh, in, in a form where they ingest it, and it's not detrimental to your health, and supposedly it creates more, uh, what's the word I want to use, uh, uh, when electricity is more... Uh, oh, conductive. Conductive, exactly, exactly. And that thus creates more longevity. I don't know if scientifically that has been proven, but that's what some people say they have found in some ancient books. I believe it. I would believe that. I, I would be inclined to believe that. I would look into that. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, is that astrology and astrotheology, it permeates everything. It's the oldest science. It is the oldest science, and it is not even close. Have you heard of the Lascaux Caves in, in France? The, repeat it, please. The Lascaux Caves? The Lascaux La, Caves, no. Las, the Lascaux? Oh, the Lascaux, they no. A, they found a series of caves in France. They found etchings on the wall that were 40,000 years old, right? Now, we're told that modern religion, if, if I'll give it to you, goes back to the Sumerians, right? Let's say if the Sumerians and their cuneiform tablets... I'll even give you, if you believe in, uh, you ever heard of the Emerald Tablets of Toth? I have. Okay. Even that's like 28,000 years, but we're talking 40,000 years. And they found etchings of bulls and rams, fish, and all sorts of stuff on the wall. They found actually, if you look at the Egyptians, they're the age of Taurus. You can see all the hieroglyphs with the bulls, with the sun directly between their uh, horns. But back to the cave, what they did was they did a computer simulation because we have the technology now where they rewound the sky back in that particular area, 40,000 years, and they printed it out and they enlarged it and they basically superimposed it onto the cave art. And lo and behold, it matched the signs as they are today. So you're That's saying 40, that the what they the hieroglyphs on the wall of those caves 
match the time in which they were put there. Correct. Correct. Almost like the pyramids, you know, where it yes. supposedly matches Orion. Right, right. That's that's true. Well, actually, and you have the Sphinx too, because yes. the Sphinx is the lion, right? And this right. is, I don't remember if this is Sitchin. It might be Sitchin, what I'm about to say. Um, but you're talking about um, the, the Sphinx, which is the head of a lion. If you look at the back of the Sphinx, it's weathered because it was under sand, but then it was it was dusted off, right? And you can see pictures of Napoleon. You see daguerreotypes, uh, uh, the earliest photography of uh, Napoleon with the head of the Sphinx sticking out of the sand. So they cleaned it all up. They pulled the this, this Sphinx out of the sand, and the back of it has water striation marks. And how do they know it's water striation marks? Well, for starters, it's not sand because you, you know what sand erosion looks like. These were smooth. Now, how is there water there? When was the last time there was water there? Well, the last time there was water there was the last ice age, which was 12,000 years ago. And then it melted. And then water just ran over it and ran over it and ran over it. And not to mention, but if you go 12,000 years ago, that's the age of Leo, the lion, right? So the Sphinx, the head of the lion, was actually facing the constellation Leo then. So this, this science is a lot older than you think. So you think the Sphinx is older than the Great Pyramid? I do. I do. I think it's much older. Why do you I think, think it's much older? Why do you think that the Sphinx and some other statues are always missing the nose? I've read that before. I, I, I've I've come across that. I don't have a good answer for that. I don't know why. Maybe it's weathering because it juts out, it sticks out a little bit mm. because it's the flimsiest part. Um, I don't know why they're all missing the nose. I don't. It doesn't make any sense. I don't think it's any legitimate reason that they're all missing the nose because they're not all missing the nose. But you can see that they're broken up. As right. far as the Sphinx goes, the the crowning theory on it right now is that there was a bigger head on it. And it was shaved um, out. It was shaved down. Correct. Now it's the face of a man on the body of a lion. Right. They're saying there was a head of a lion that was uh, shaved down. So I don't know why the noses are missing. To be it's honest. almost it's like a, they want you to believe there was a pharaoh's face when it was not. It was a, a lion. Exactly. Like they're telling you that uh, the Sphinx was, was made for King Khufru right. or Pharaoh Khufru. It's, it's not true. Like, like 4,000 years ago, it's not true. There's just too many obvious signs that it's way older than that. Are you familiar with Gobekli Tepe? Yes, in Turkey, yes. In Turkey, good. Okay. So it's the same thing. They unearthed this thing, which is 11,500 years old. And what they found was that it was actually an astronomy and astro in an astrological viewpoint of the stars. They had a section dedicated to that. Are you familiar with the Antikythera mechanism? Absolutely. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it a Greek ship, I think? Mm -hmm. It was a Greek ship that sunk, and they found this thing. I don't remember exactly how old it was. It's a, it's a couple, couple hundred years old. But what they found was it was an advanced astrology machine for navigation purposes for navigation purposes it was it was a computer like two three thousand years ago it's everywhere astrology rules everything it does and there's some real science behind it you see the antikythera mechanism the baghdad battery that works with with wine i believe it was or or, or, right. or grape grape juice uh, in order to 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 have the electricity all these things 
you know, material that is out there, out of time and space. And we're told, yeah. no, that's just a coincidence. You know, this this shouldn't be happening. But what if that was life, not hundreds, but maybe thousands of years ago? And we have I gone agree. through cataclysm after cataclysm, maybe five or six times. And, you know, what happens if right now there's a cataclysm here? And in the future, right. you know, 100, 200 years down the road, a few generations that are with sticks and stone to start digging and you know, they find these little tablets and plastic. But you got to remember one thing. One, you got to remember one thing. What is the reason that they're suppressing all this information? The number one reason. They don't want us to evolve. They want us to keep, to keep us divided and dumb. That's true. But even more so than that, it's because it goes against the religious, the religious historical narrative of 6,000 years. Mm. Muslims, you know, you tell you tell a Muslim that the pyramid is thirteen thousand years old. They they believe in the Quran. They, yeah. They'll 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 stone you. Oh yeah, they'll behead you. And Sahih Hawaz, Sahih Hawaz claims that that was done by the Egyptians. I have enough information to say no. Right. And you look at the Dogon tribe. They. Oh, said, that's an interesting one too. Um, let's take it on part two because we have to break both segments. This is becoming more interesting than I thought that it would. This is really, really interesting, Micah. I have to congratulate you because you have done a lot of research and you're connecting a lot of dots and opening things that I did not connect before. Tell us how can you. people buy the the series of the books in, so they can be in tune because every three months you're shooting one out, right? Yeah, so here's, here's what you do. You go to Amazon.com and it doesn't matter where you are in the world, my books were universally released. So go to Amazon.com and search Micah Dank. My first two books are out. The first one is uh, Beneath the Veil. The second one is The Sacred Stones. Uh, the third one is going to be titled The Secret Weapon. I think you can pre-order it. Um, I talk about all this stuff that I'm talking about with Mel right now and more. Um, but also, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at I'm Micah Dank on Twitter. And on Facebook, I'm Micah D. M-I-C-A-H space D-E-E. -E. So feel free to friend me or send me a, a message or just follow me on Twitter or whatever. Um, that should be fine. But yeah, I, I go into all this stuff. When we come back, we're going to go deeper. Now, what an apt title. Deeper into the rabbit hole because there are so many questions that I have. And also, you look at this new Pope, and if you are a Catholic, you really are questioning why he's there. He's talking about New World Religion. Uh, it makes you wonder what the attempts to do this are. And then we have the Silicon Valley tech Marxist tech tyranny. I wonder if this is part of the plan of the New Age religion that's coming soon. But my guest today is Micah Dank, and much more when we return. This is Mel Hostelrick, and you are listening to Veritas. See you in the member section. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, 
pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.